The word of the Lord. You know, I always tell you, I, I pray, I try to pray right after I get done pre you know, preaching. Last time I preached was about friends, and then um, I started praying, God, show me what you want me to preach on. So the Lord led me to preach about here about the word of, word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Um, our jumping off point here is in 1 Samuel chapter number 3. In 1 Samuel chapter number 3, verse 1, it says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord, and before Eli. So Eli is kind of like the first prophet that God really had, kind of like in that prophetic office. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Now this has taken place just after the book of Judges, where uh, in the book of Judges, you know, it ends with uh, every man did what was right in his own eyes, and there was just chaos and confusion and just a mess. And God says here when Samuel, that great prophet, when he was just a kid, that the word of the Lord was precious in those days. Now, some versions translate this word uh, rare. And that's because the word has both meanings. It was used about um, jewels and uh, precious stones that were of high value. So it means both of great value and rare. Okay? And that's how the Word of God was. Now, I hate to tell you this. You're going to be mad at me. But for you to understand what it means for us, the word of the Lord is precious. I'm going to have to go over some history with you. So bear with me for just a few minutes and let me uh, show you why and our forefathers, the church, the word of the Lord is precious. In 30 AD, I put AD up there at first so you kind of know this is not BC, right, before Christ or whatever. This is, this is, the New Testament. So 30 A.D., that's the ministry of Jesus, right, when he came around. And then 303, it's about 300 years, that's a Roman persecution, Roman government, right? Diocletian is how I believe you say his name. He was the first person in power to decree destroy that book. And they began to um, hunt down the scripture and get rid of it. Then what happens is some things kind of happen. <laughs> I don't know how to tell you that. But um, this ecclesiastical church, and it's funny because ecclesiastical means pertaining to the church. So I just call it the churchy church. So the churchy church begins to be formed. And in 450 to 1100, that's the dark ages. And that's when the churchy church really comes into power. And the churchy church is the church that was about rules and rituals and religion. And not about a relationship with Jesus. It got into where exactly what Jesus rebuked the people who were in religious power at the time when he came. And that is the clergy or the hierarchy of the leaders of the church ruled over the people. Called the Dark Ages. It's Dark Ages for, there's different reasons why they call it the Dark Ages. But this is where really persecution really, really kicked in. 
and they, uh, the churchy church began to persecute their own churchy church people and churchy church clergy that didn't agree with them and these other groups of people who never even were part of the churchy church. And these people died for the word of God. They said one fella who um, kind of later on though they uh, compiled all the Bibles and stuff that he had made or whatever and burned him by his own Bibles at the stake. A lot of these people, um, they would tie their, that book around their neck and burn them at the stake. The dark ages. In 1250 to 1850, so they didn't get much of a break, did we? That's when the Inquisition came in. That's when the churchy church said we've got to do something about this heresy and they really took it upon themselves to combat heresy. And a lot of people lost their lives. Now through history, these people have names. Okay, we're always usually you know, called by our enemies, you know, because we were called Christians. That was the people who were against us called, us called us Christians. That's how we got our name, right? And then down through the time, they, the churchy church gave them different names. Albigenses, Waldenses, Anabaptist. Anabaptist, that means rebaptizers. It's kind of what it is. Because we didn't believe that the baptism they gave him as a child didn't save you. It was the baptism you took after you got saved. It was a figure of your relationship with Jesus Christ. It had nothing to do with cleansing you of sin. And that's why they called them Anabaptist. And I kind of give you an idea of kind of what's Going on historically, in 1536, William Tyndale was martyred for translating the, the Bible into English. In 1536. I don't know if you realize it, but you know, the old King James, right? That's, that's what I read. That's what I like. That was translated in 1611. Not even 100 years. Last thing they said that William Tyndale said was, God opened the eyes of the King of England when they burned him at the stake. They're translating the Bible. In English. Now, he wasn't the first one to do it. There was a few others before him, but he was really, they called the father of the English Bible. Matter of fact, they say 80% of, of the King James Bible is William Tyndale. He had a lot of phrases that he came up with through the translation in English that stick to this day. Knock and you shall receive, right? I mean, uh, knock and it shall be open to you, seek and you shall find. That's all William Tyndale. That's his phraseology that he had. But this is really the kicker. 1456. In 1456, Gutenberg made or invented the printing press. Okay, now the Chinese had some things that they did, but there was only Chinese works and certain poems and things they did that they had a certain way they printed things. But the actual moving printing press, or you know, that, that made, uh, we know, modern books. 1456. That means up until that time, you had to copy by hand the Bible. You wanted a portion of Scripture, you had to get someone that had a book, and you had to copy it or pay someone else to copy it for you. The problem is, is that to make a book like this back then, it took a person's three years' wage. Make twenty, thirty thousand 30000 a year, it takes... Modern times, I think $90,000 to have one Bible. 
And we have, we, what, we have a decorative Bible. We have so many Bibles. We got a Bible that never even opens. It just sits on the table because it looks good. I like the binding. And it says Holy Bible, right? The Word of God is really not precious to us like it was to them. So most people didn't have a Bible. Not only did they not have a Bible because they couldn't afford it, but they didn't have a Bible because they died. I mean, they, they persecuted them. The churchy church said the Bible can only be in Latin. It can't be in any other language. It's, and, and, you, and we will persecute anybody who translates it into the vulgar tongue of another language. And that's what they did. So the only time a lot of people ever heard the Bible was when they came to a church and a man stood up there and he read the Bible in Latin that they didn't even understand because only clergy, royalty, and educated rich knew Latin. That's it. So they didn't even understand what was being said to them. And then the churchy church clergyman would explain it to them. The word of the Lord was precious in those days. This little book right here, back in 1950, 40, something like that, I think he lived, or when he, I'm sorry, when he passed away. Trail of Blood. He estimated 50 million Christians died. 50 million. That's over 4 million every 100 years. It's staggering. Think how many people died for the word of God for this book and what it what it says the word of the Lord was precious to them in those days is it precious to us is it precious to me that's what I want to talk about today now down through the ages there were there were some churchy churches and some churchy church men and women who were part of the churchy church, they didn't agree with the churchy church. And they were, they were persecuted just like these people that were never part of the churchy church. They were called heretics. But yet, they, they, they believed this book. And the scripture is precious. And they, they died. And that's all the 50 million. That's churchy church and non-churchy church. And both groups, both, you know, anybody who, who was God's people saw four attributes. They believed there was four attributes that the Bible held. And those four attributes I want to talk about today. The first is authority. Authority. The Bible is the sole authority. That's what they believed. Not a tradition or because of a person's position in the church gave them authority, you know, because the churchy church clergy and the hierarchy thought they had authority. Authority. How much authority does this book have in your life? Now, some people say, well, I thought the church has authority. Yeah, they do, because the Bible gives them authority. Well, I thought the preacher has authority. He does have authority, because the Bible gives him authority. The Bible is sole authority. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul wrote this. He says, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So they're not just mere words of men, but they're God's instructions for life. You know, to live without authority is 
anarchy. Right? If you have no authority, no one to tell you what's right, what's wrong, and what you should do, what you shouldn't do, then you, you, you're your own God. But see, people who this book was precious, it was an authority to their life. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of, of God is living and powerful. And that word powerful, it means not just active, but effective. The word of God was powerful. When, when my children were little, I bought them this toy. You turn it on, kind of makes little lights, and it goes around, and it runs into the wall. And it would like either flip over or do whatever and turn in another direction and go this way. And then it hit something else. They'd love to step in front of it and hit their foot and do whatever. They just love that thing. Active, but not effective. I go over to my son's house. He's got this little round thing. And you turn it on and it runs into the wall and then moves and then runs over here and bumps into that. But you know what? It's sweeping the floor while it's doing that. See, it's active and effective. So the Word of God should be active and effective in us. The Word of God is living, powerful, sharpening the two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is discerner. That's where we get our, our word critical from, is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Right? Your imagination and your resolution, your thoughts and your intents. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says this, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith which uh, with you, which, which will be able to quench the fiery darts of the devil or the wicked one, and take the helm of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You know, we've told you, and I remember Doug saying, man, the, the word of God, that is your only offensive piece of equipment you have. That's all we got to fight. When I was, when I was young, and again, I, I had to hide my Bible, I had to do all, I had to be secret because of my father. Um, I told you all once before, I couldn't have music, Christian music, so I used to listen to Christmas songs all year long. Put them on the record player. That's the thing that's a big thing like this. It, it spins and you put a little guy like that that goes on there. Okay. And um, it'd play. That's the only way I got Christian music. In my mom, middle of July. What do you listen to Christmas songs? Well, I just listen to Christmas songs. Mom. And then when I got about junior, senior, I had some friends actually that were Christians and I discovered there was actually Christian music. They put on this little thing called a tape. You know, it had a little string that went come from side to side. You put it in there. You press the button. A lot of times they'd eat the little thing and pull it out of the string there. You'd just pull and string like a magic trick or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, where'd all that come from? This, okay. But it got to be where, in my immature mind, I thought, well, they're singing about Jesus, so I don't need to read the Word of God. So I got to where I didn't read the Bible because I was listening to Christian music. Not much authority in my life. 
So where's the Bible? How's, what kind of authority does it have in your life? It's our authority. It's our sufficiency. It contains everything necessary, instructions for all areas of life for the Christian, and believe it or not, even for the non-Christian. You want to know about marriage? It's in this book. Finances? Mine are right here. Teenagers? <laughs> believe it or not, it's in there. Ethics, yeah. Illness, dealing with illness, you can get comfort. Difficult people, heartache, fear, disappointment, setbacks, it's all in here. Success, generosity, in-laws, it's sufficient. Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration. That whole phrase there, given by inspiration of God, is actually one word that's got kind of two words joined together, okay? One word is, one word is God. The other word is breath. God breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Uh, reproof is evidence. In other words, the idea of like, see this is right, see this, see that, there, there it is. You know, it's like almost like pre presenting evidence in a case to either make someone, you know, condemn them or to prove them innocent. Correction, instruction, righteousness. That the man of God, now remember Timothy is a preacher, so Paul is writing specifically to him, but still the application for Christians, that Christians may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This should be sufficient. Is this all I really need? I mean, it's good to read other things as long as they pull from this. I tell you what, I, I, the, the thing that I got tired about being in school and in, in seminary and all that is all these books that we read were all about what a other man thinks. And the more I got, the farther along. And I'm maybe not every seminary is like that. I'm not bashing them all. But the more I just read about what other men said instead about studying the Bible. This should be my sufficiency. And, and, the th and people who write and, and, and minister to me, it, this should, it could, should come from this. They should pull from this. Simon Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, he said, therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow. Just as, a, just as a nursing mother provides all the nutrients for her infant, so the word of God should suffice us spiritually. You know, Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 16. He tells a story of this rich man and Lazarus. And they, uh, they both die. And he says, the rich man lived up his eyes being in hell and saw Lazarus across the way. And uh, Lazarus was okay. He's in a place that they call, that, that the term was used for paradise. Where all Old Testament believers and followers of the Lord were there, no matter what nationality we were, the, they believed, they followed Jehovah God of Israel. They were all kept in that place until Christ came and took them out, the Bible says in the New Testament. He led captivity captive. 
So that's where, that's where he, can, he can see him. The rich man can see him. And he tells him, hey, Father Abraham, send Lazarus over here to dip his you know, finger in some water and cool my tongue. And he says, you can't, you know, it can't come between him and you. You can't do it. So he says, hey, send Lazarus back to my brothers and uh, that they not come to this place. And this is what Abraham says to him in this story. He says, Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he, the rich man, said, no, Father Abraham, but if one go to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, now that's the Old Testament, that's the Jewish term for the Bible, the Old Testament, okay, as they knew it. Uh, they, 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 don't, they don't hear the Bible. Neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. Sufficient. I'll tell you what, you, you know, if... He would say, well, if God would just do this, or if, if I just saw that, if I just knew that God did this, if I saw a miracle, man, they, they said all that to Jesus and they still crucified him. That ain't going to change your mind because sufficiency is a heart attitude. Now, some people say, well, man, that Bible is old and all of these and the thous. Well, modern translations don't have these and thous. Yeah, but it's written and it's got all those old things and those places. It just it doesn't apply to us. Well, you know, this, the Bible was written in a time frame in which God used what those people knew. But God still knew about you here in the modern age. And he wrote this book, even though it has application coming from the time period it was written. God had you in mind. There is a story in the Bible that God has hid away for 1,500 years or so that now only in the modern age do we understand what was happening. But see, Jesus knew what we were going to be like and what today was going to be, and so he put this gem of an of a experience in the New Testament so that you could know that he knew about today. And I'll read that story to you. <clears throat> it's in Mark chapter 8. And remember, the Bible is not fluff, like Doug says. Not fluff. It's specific. God writes and puts words in there specifically so that we can see truth. It says here, Then he came to Bethsaida, that's Jesus, and they brought him a blind, a blind man to him, and they begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, isn't that something Jesus would do? Hey, come here. <laughs> I'm going to heal you. God's got a sense of humor. He spit on his eyes and put his hands on him and asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, now listen to the phrase he said, I see men like trees walking. Now, I'm not trying to take away from the commentators from the past, but they, 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 they spiritualize this and say, well, Jesus did this, and the reason he did this miracle. But see, what happened, what we find out today in modern medicine is that if you're blind as a child, and then you get your sight back. If you've been blind 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, your brain is already wired. You might be able to see, but you can't distinguish anything. As a matter of fact, many of them never, you know, 
can really see any good. Some of them even wish they never even saw it had sight because it's so confusing because they can't make heads or tails. Here it says, the man said, I see men like trees walking. So that tells us that he wasn't born blind because he had to know what men looked like and he had to know what trees looked like. So he must have been blinded shortly after he was, you know, as a child. We now, you know, I don't know if you know, but blindness is a plague in third world countries. Children become blind basically from not getting the right vitamins. They're born healthy, born complete, but by the age of five, six, seven, ten, they're blind. Even cataracts, because of the way they live, diet, and health, they get cataracts at a young age. So they went into the modern time, right? You hear about these people going in, and, and they do these eye surgeries, and they let these people see, and these people... I see men as trees walking. See, Jesus healed his eye just like that surgeon does down there in the midst of South America. But their brain's still not functioning. And then it says, and then he put his hand on his eyes again and he looked up and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. See, Jesus healed his eyes and then he healed his brain that he could now function. I tell you, that was a miracle God stored away in the Bible that was never known until modern times. God did that for you because he knows what today is like and he made the Bible sufficient for you. It's sufficient. He knows about what's going on. He knows about what you're going through. He wrote it for you. So the Bible is our authority, our sufficiency, and it's our clarity. Our clarity. The word of God is not understood by spiritual, you know, understand spiritually through education or IQ. Okay? If it was, <laughs> there, man, I'd be, I'd be in trouble. I mean, I'm a few fries short of a Happy Meal. You know what I'm saying? I always, I joke and I always say my wife tells me there's a village somewhere without an idiot is what she tells me, okay? Now, if I can understand this book at a kid who couldn't read very well, I was embarrassed to read in public school because I couldn't read good. Um, partly because I, my, we didn't know that I didn't get glasses until I was... Um, fifth, sixth grade, something like that. So, so I had to read. I, I don't know why. I, I couldn't, I, so I didn't read since I couldn't see. So I didn't read very good. But the Bible is written, it's not for, about intellect. It's not about how much you know. Yeah, that stuff can help certain details, but not the spiritual part. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, it says, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him, Right? We know things as people of earth because we have that experience, right? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit, of, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which men's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual See, the idea of comparing spiritual, it's, it's the idea of 
of something, two things that join together, two things that fit together, something that's compounded or um, combined. So the idea is that you, know, you read and you take a spiritual thing here, and then when you read some more, the Holy Spirit takes this other spiritual thing here and it begins to make things clear. And he says in verse 14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So really there's kind of two conditions for, for clarity of the Bible. There's two conditions. One is the Holy Spirit has to be a willing participant. The Holy Spirit is not a genie in a bottle, you know, a genie in a bottle that you, you know, pop the cork, you know, and you pour him out and he, he gives you clarity. It's not like that. He is, he is the third person of the, of the Trinity and he makes a choice whether or not he is going to let you understand. The Holy Spirit has to be involved. He has to be a willing participant. There could be reasons why the Holy Spirit is not willing to make the Bible clear to you. The Holy Spirit has to be a willing participant, and you've got to give the something the Holy Spirit to work with. Because if he makes things clear by comparing spiritual with spiritual, this verse with that verse, you've got to put the verses in your brain to begin with. If you're not putting the verses in your brain for the Holy Spirit to compare them to make things clear, then you know what? That's why the Bible doesn't make any sense because you're not reading it. You're not giving the Holy Spirit anything to work with. Paul tells the Corinthian church, he kind of admonishes them and says, in verse uh, chapter, chapter 3, he says, And I, brethren, would, could not speak to you as the spiritual, but as unto carnal, as the babes. They're, they're, they're so worldly. Babes in Christ. I fed you with me, uh, milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you still are not able to receive it. He said, man, I, I can't, you can't get out of the basics. You can't, nothing's clear to you. I, I wish I could show you these these things that God wants you to know, but you're, you're so carnal, you're so about yourself, I can't show you nothing. So there's basically three reasons why you, the Bible might not be clear to you. The Holy Spirit's not a willing participant because there might be sin in your life, there might be rebe rebellion in your life, there might be something the Holy Spirit already tried to show you and you said, I ain't going to do that, so he's not obligated to show you anymore. Second, you're not giving the Holy Spirit anything in. You know, you're, not, there's, you're not giving him anything to work with. You're not reading the book. Third is you might not even be a Christian. So the Holy Spirit's not even inside of you to guide you. Now, the one exception the Bible makes for that is given in Romans chapter 10. Paul says this to the Roman church. He says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that whole passage, Paul talks about them. He says, hey, look, you Romans, how did you get saved? You got saved by hearing the word. Well, how did you hear the word? Well, a preacher came. Well, how did the preacher get there? Because somebody paid for him to be a missionary to go over there and preach the word. And then he goes on to this whole thing about how they got the word of God, right? And he comes down, he ends it with this. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I have seen it over and over again where a lost person will sit down with this book with a right heart, an honest heart, and say, you know, God, I don't believe in you, but I want to know if you're real. Show me. And God opened that book and make it clear to them. Don't want to use any names. Back in um, our country church that we came from, 
We had a guy there who was um, that our pastor knew or ran into or something. It was something, a relative of one of the church members or something. And he had a master's degree in psychology. He had 20 years in the Army. And he was working at a state mental hospital. And he was an atheist. He, this man had uh, several degrees and um, graduate level degrees. And uh, God, he was not interested in God. It was foolishness. It was nothing. But something happened. Something happened that he gave God a chance. And he got a Bible, and he began to read. And after reading and reading and praying and saying, and, and this book was just convicting him, sitting out in his car in front of our old country church, that old country preacher led him to the Lord. And that man changed. It was amazing. My wife's going like this because she's know who I'm talking about. Changed. Changed. Boy, the Bible became clear. The Holy Spirit made it clear to him. Amazing. Clarity. Authority, sufficiency, clarity, and necessity. Necessity. It says here in Matthew chapter 4, it says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Man, I, I'm hungry 40 minutes. I can't believe 40 days. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus didn't come to serve himself. He came to serve us. He came as a servant. He fed others. He healed others. He strengthened others, but not himself. He willingly gave himself that we might be saved. So Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, said, you know what? If I got a choice between going hungry or the Word of God, I'm going to go hungry. Job said... I have not departed from the commandment of his lips, talking about God. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job said, if it came either to well, the word of the Lord or food to live, I'd rather starve to death and take God's word. I don't know about you, but i got to have my Pop-Tart <laughs> and my coffee, my morning meds, my swig of orange juice, and i got to check the weather before I'll even crack that book. And sometimes I just don't have time. Not much of a necessity. You know why Americans are so much in debt? Because we are convinced, I need that. That. I need that new car. The car I have runs fine, but I need that new one. I need another pair of shoes and a purse to go with it. <laughs> I need another gun. I got 15 
but I need another one. Even though three of them are the same caliber of the one I'm going to get, but I still need one more. I need another phone. My phone works fine, but I need a new one. I need a new video game for you teenagers. I got to take a couple games off my hard drive because I don't have room anymore. I got so many games. I'm putting a couple on there. I need another four-wheeler. I need another outfit. I need another something. You know, we pursue what we perceive that we need, and we ne neglect what we don't. So how much do I really, do I, do I really in my heart believe I need this book? And I sure don't act like it. Do you need the word? We look back at those things that, the, those three verses, right? Effective, effectively works in you that believe, right? Do I need that authority? Do, do, I, do I really think I need that in my life to tell me what to do, what not to do, how to think? That I may be complete, thoroughly equipped. Do I need that sufficiency? Is it, do I really need that? Is this really all I need? That I might grow, right? That it might become more clear to me as the more I read, the clarity. Do I really need this book? Is it precious to me? <sighs> this is the Bible my brother got me when I was a teenager. Got some things written in this thing. I don't know if you know who Harlan Popoff is, but he signed my Bible. You gotta look him up. Wrote myself notes in here. 1986, Get Over the Flesh, I wrote to myself. Is it really precious? You know, we say sometimes our Bible looks like that. <laughs> If you go on the, online and look up Thomas Jefferson Bible, that's kind of one of the pictures that's going to come up. Kind of all cut up, right? Thomas Jefferson uh, made a book called it The Philosophy of Jesus of Nazareth. Okay? Now, what's kind of ironic, that looks like a lot of things that are cut out of there, doesn't it? But see... That's actually what's left. That's, that's actually what's left of Thomas Jefferson's work. You see, he cut out the portions that he thought were necessary. It only comprised 46 pages. <laughs> that's all he thought was good, 46 pages. That's good enough. The rest was junk to be gotten rid of. You know, is that what I've done in my Bible? I've cut out the, just the parts I need, throw the rest away. You know, how much is an authority? How much is it a necessity? 
How much do I really let it speak to my heart? Is it really everything I need? James kind of gives a, a little, kind of just tells it straight when he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, because you're deceiving yourself. Are we deceiving ourselves? How precious is this book to us? Amen. Let's go Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this book, and, uh, and we are appreciative of the people who gave their life that we might have a Bible in our own language. And Lord, I can't imagine uh, just the people that suffered that we might have the Word of God in America. Well, I just pray you help us, Lord, to, to truly see how important this book is and that it might be precious to us and it might be a part of our life and we might look to it and glean from it. Uh, Lord, I pray bless all that are here. Bless new lifers and, and the struggles that we all go through and, and we have and, and a lot, lot of pain going on in this room, Lord. I, you know about it. And I pray you just um, minister to them according to your word. Thank you, God, for all your many blessings. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.